Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36. Matthew writes, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know, we, uh, we tend to get away from it because of our religious habits and traditions. But the essential purpose of man in this world is to love God. We just read it. So the answer to the question, why am I here? Or why was I born? is found in the summary of man's total and final responsibility. And that is to love God with every fiber of our being. That's why we're here. That's what our life is about. Of course, the immediate problem with this is how do you love what is not seen? How do you manage to love something, someone, who is invisible, someone who is not evident to the senses. You know, it's hard to love the invisible God. So in response, we have tried to make church going, you know, church attendance, the barometer of our love for the unseen one. And as edifying as church attendance and church services can be, it is sometimes hard to make the emotional connection between going to church and loving God. Compare the experience of loving your spouse or loving your parents or your child or loving a special friend. Compare that experience, those experiences to loving God. Why do they not feel the same? these experiences? Well, I think it's because we have institutionalized our love for God. In other words, we've made the activities that surround worship the main way that we express our love and the main way we try to perceive God's love. You know, trying to express and feel love in this way can be compared to you know, feeling and experiencing love, for example, you know, the love that people feel in a nursing home. I mean, it's love. All right. People are being cared for, but it's institutional love. It's not warm and personal. Another example, you ever get a birthday card and you open the birthday card inside the birthday card, just the person's name is signed, just their first name, not even their second name, just their first name. No, I hope you'll have a great year. No, I hope everything's great. I hope God's blessing on you. A poem if your name is Dayton. You know, nothing. Just, just a first name. No check, no cash. <laughs> you know, nothing. Just the name. I mean, it's still your birthday. And yes, they remembered. But somehow, it's, oh, it's a little dry, isn't it? Or it's like going to your high school graduation dinner with your cousin. 
It's a big night and she's a pretty girl, but this will be your one and only date. And you both know this. So what I'm trying to say here is that loving God and receiving His love ought to be an experience that motivates. It ought to be something that feels like something. It ought to be something that changes us like love normally does when we experience it with people. When we experience a loving relation with someone, it has an impact on us. It changes us some, somehow. For the most part, I see that it doesn't motivate or change or bring pleasure to Christians because they've turned love into a habit of rituals and rules. You know, it's hard to experience love in an atmosphere of rules and regulations. It's like a married couple who go through the motions. They do enough to keep the facade of a marriage, but not having any joy that love is supposed to bring to a marriage. So I believe the problem is that it's a one-sided relationship where one person loves more than the other person. And if you've ever been in that kind of relationship, you know that those relationships don't don't work very well. In our case, I think God loves us more than we love Him. And the way to remedy the problem is not just change our style of worship. Some people say, if we could just get a feeling while we're worshiping, I guess that would mean that we really love God. So we sing louder. Some places, let's get a band in here. Let's get some flashing lights. We'll feel something. They, They kind of confuse feeling something like that for actually loving God, loving the invisible God. Now, it isn't easy to love the invisible God, but it's, it's, it's possible. So let's talk about ways that we can pursue to enable us to increase our love for this invisible God that we worship. All right, loving the invisible God. Number one, develop a sense of His presence. You want to love the invisible God, develop a sense of His presence. You can love something that you can't see. I didn't say it was impossible to love something that you can't see. I mean, I love the gentleness that I see in uh, our grandchildren. I love that about them. I feel something about that. Yet you can't touch that thing. I love the kindness and the generosity of my wife. I don't have to see her in front of me to appreciate and love her great sense of generosity that she has. I love the stillness of an early morning. I mean, can you see the stillness? Not really. But you know that it surrounds you somehow. Now, you can love those things that you can't see, but you cannot love something that is not actually there. The stillness is there. The gentleness of the child, that's really there. The generosity of my wife, that's really there. But you can't love something that actually isn't there. So you can't see God, but He is there. 
What's needed is the recognition of different signs that permit or rather that point to his presence. For example, how do I know he's there? Well, I know he's there because there are answered prayers. And the answered prayers that I have raised up to him are a sign of his presence in my life. Not all prayers are answered right away or in a positive way, but those that are answers point to the one who listens and who responds. You know, the asking and the receiving point to a God who is there to hear and to give. The psalmist said in Psalm 21 verse 4, He asked life of thee, thou didst give it to him. Another way of developing the sense of his presence, realize that spiritual insight is only possible because God is actually there. See, the reason that we are encouraged to read the Bible regularly is because it is in reading the word of God that we gain insight and knowledge and wisdom. But God is the one who imparts these things, not just the words on a page. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 13, Paul says the following. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So Paul chastised the Corinthians for thinking that through human wisdom or cleverness, they knew the things of God. He tells them that what they know of God, God has not only transmitted it to them, in other words, through the written word, but has actually enabled them to understand it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So believing in Jesus is a decision that I make for myself. But that Jesus is revealed is a work of God and a witness of His presence. You see what I'm saying? Every time you say, I never saw that, you know, as you're reading the Bible, Every time you say, wow, I never saw that, or now I understand this teaching, you are grasping more fully, not just a new idea, you are grasping more fully the presence of God Himself. Because it's impossible to know Him unless you are making the effort to love Him. Another way to sense His presence And that is through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God and manifests Himself in many tangible ways and ways that are unique to Himself. 
Now not every member of the Godhead manifests themselves in the same way to us. For example, the Father, He initiates the creation and we can perceive Him in it, His power, His wisdom, His sense of beauty. The Son is the Word made flesh and we have His presence recorded in an historical sense through the Gospels. We see Him through the Gospel. We see the Father through the things that He has made. And the Holy Spirit manifests Himself through the production of the Word and through the growth of the church. The Holy Spirit is most visible in His relationship with individual Christians. You see Him there. Among other things, He provides strength, for example, to overcome sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Do you get what I'm saying? Where does the strength come from to overcome sin? Well, it doesn't come from our flesh and it certainly doesn't come from Satan. So where does it come from? Well, the Bible says it comes from the Holy Spirit. How do I see the Holy Spirit? I see myself overcoming sin. That's how I perceive him. That's how I understand and can see, if you wish, the invisible God. I see him working in me, doing things that I cannot do, And certainly things that Satan doesn't want to do, let alone can do. We also see his comfort in time of sorrow or trial or temptation. Paul talks about the comfort that he receives from God. Acts 9, 31. The peace that we experience when we should be experiencing fear or depression or anger, according to logic, this peace that surpasses understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 verse 7. Where do you think that peace comes from? When he says you will experience the peace that surpasses understanding. What is he saying? Well he's saying it's going to it's not coming from you. It surpasses your understanding. It's coming from somewhere else. Well where is that peace coming from? Well it's coming from the comforter. He's the one that reaches inside of you to comfort you, to hold you up, to support you. Again, how do I see this invisible God? I see him through the comfort that he gives me during times of trial or crisis in my my faith. I see him working in me. And seeing him enables me to love him more. And so the peace that we experience when we should be experiencing fear and depression, as I say, according to logic, comes from the Spirit. And we see Him in this. It doesn't come from our understanding. It comes from God who is there in the tears and the chaos. A God who is present during these times. So if we want to learn to love God, the invisible one, We need to recognize the different signs of his invisible but yet undeniable presence. Another way to love the invisible God. Exercise sincere repentance. 
Exercise sincere repentance. What kills love in any relationship is sin. Never mind your relationship with God, your relationship with your friend. You lie to your friend and he finds out or she finds out that you lied to them. What does that do to your friendship? You cheat on your spouse. What does that do to your marriage? You, you have a double standard with your children. You've told them all their lives. You shouldn't do that. That's wrong. I'm against it. Blah, blah, blah. And they discover that you yourself do this thing. What does that do to your relationship, to your moral authority with your children when they find out that you practice the very thing that you forbid them to practice because it's bad, it's not good, it's unhealthy, whatever. Sin destroys relationships at every level. Lying, adultery, violence, selfishness, pride, these and other sins are usually the root causes of marriage breakdown or any relationship breakdown. The same phenomenon works in our relationship with God, except that in this relationship the sin is always on our side, not on God's side. The sins we do And the sins that we do not only separate us from God in a spiritual way, but also in an emotional way as well. Sin hardens our hearts and makes it unable to feel or desire the love of God. When I sin, when I sin a lot, when I harden my heart, I don't even want to try to love God. It's not that sin causes God to stop loving us because we're impure, we're not clean. I mean, God has always loved us steadily. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? John chapter 3, verse, God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the world while they were doing everything okay. (laughs) It says God so loved the world. Yeah, in whatever condition you're in. The problem is that sin renders us incapable of loving God. Now the reason that we must repent and be baptized is that without repentance we cannot succeed in loving God. Even if our past is forgiven the inability to love God will eventually drive us away from Him once again. Example Judas Judas never repented truly, sincerely of greed. And he loved money more than he loved Jesus. Demas did not repent of his worldliness and he returned to the world and the love of the world rather than follow Paul and the mission that he was on given to him by Jesus. Sin shrivels our heart up. It it renders us incapable, never mind of loving God. In many times it renders us incapable of just loving another human being that we can see. Repentance, on the other hand, is always painful, but it's liberating. It is like opening your eyes and really seeing yourself without God and turning towards Him in love. Without repentance, the only love that we actually feel is the allure and the excitement of the world 
and the lust and the pleasure for sin. That's the only feeling we have. Repentance is really our exchange. We go from loving the world and sin and the flesh, which are the tangibles of the unseen Satan. We go from this to loving purity and obedience and righteousness, which are the tangibles of the unseen God. In time, the loving of the things of God lead us to loving God Himself. This is what God was doing with the Jews. He gave them the law and the temple, the things of God. But they never got beyond the things of God to God Himself. That's our danger also in the modern church. Understand what I mean? They didn't get beyond the things. They were so hung up on the rules, the regulations, the carrying out of everything. They forgot that they were worshiping a living being. And instead were worshiping the things of God. They were pious in their own way, but they weren't loving. And then another way that we can cultivate this love for God, and Jesus mentions it, and that is to love others as self. That's why he says, you know, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, all your strength, and love others as you love yourself. That love others, that, that, that works directly to helping us love God. Jesus provides the key in how to express our love toward God in a very practical way. Felt love is unfulfilling if it is not expressed. Your love for your spouse or your child or your parents propels you to do something. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You cannot help yourself. I mean, right? At Christmas time, we just went past Christmas time. A lot of us are beyond you know, the having kids. You know, we've got grandkids and that. But you remember when you had your kids out shopping for Christmas? We got a budget. We're going to stay in that budget. You know. <laughs> and then you say, oh, wait a minute. Look at this. Oh, this is good. You know, at least you say, yeah, but then that gets us over. Our bu- or that gives you know, Julia a, a bigger present than it gives to Emily. You know, we got to keep things even. Oh, come on, let's go for it. And you know what happens, right? You were at this level for all the presents and then one present goes up. Well, then you got to top it off for everybody else. Why do we do that? We love our kids. We want to see the expression of joy. We want them to say, this is perfect. Ah, That's exactly the one I wanted. So discerning God's presence through answered prayer and spiritual insight and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, along with a greater capacity to love Him as the sin in our lives is removed, all of this heightens our desire to love Him. This love moves us to do something. And Jesus says that loving others is the tangible way that we demonstrate our love for God. The mistake that we make sometimes is we pour all of that love 
and all of that energy into worship services, which are fine, which are good. But doing that does not create in us the satisfaction that comes from actually loving Him. Now the amazing thing about this is that it is when we love others they begin to feel God's love for themselves. And this moves them to search for the invisible God that they have caught a glimpse of through our love. And this cycle repeats itself over and over again until everyone is loved by God and everyone offers their love to God. Now I can preach a lot of sermons about what we need to do and what we ought to do. We can live right. We can live honestly and faithfully. We got to do that. We got to attend worship and give generously. Of course. We need to get involved. We need to serve. We need to be evangelistic. We can bring people to church. We can preach a sermon on every one of those topics and be perfectly biblical and perfectly necessary. But all I'm doing here is explaining the details of what the Bible says about Christian living and church growth. The power that moves us to actually do these things is not fear or guilt or persuasion. It's love. You perceiving the presence and the love of God for you and for me. You moved by that love to express your love to God in ways that have been mentioned before. God must have known that loving an invisible being would be difficult for man. So he sent his son in a visible form as a human being to demonstrate his unmistakable love by dying on the cross to remove the sins that separated us from him. When we doubt his presence, when we are not sure that our prayers are heard, when loving the unseen becomes just too much for us, let our eyes rest on the cross of Jesus as a testimony, not only of God's presence, but the presence of his love for us. And so if your love for God has grown cold through religious routine, or sinfulness and you would like to reaffirm your faith and your love for that unseen God, then we encourage you, come forward, confess your sins, come forward, acknowledge your faith in Christ, whatever whatever is needed. I would think that for most of us it would be to renew our commitment, not only to uh, our worshiping of God, but our commitment to loving others as God has loved us so that we can come more, uh, we can get more in touch with the feelings of love that we should have and that we need to have for God and that are so rewarding when we experience them. So if you have any need for prayer or whatever, we encourage you to come forward now as we sing our song of encouragement.